You are now entering the Bloodless. Your hosts are the intrepid and all-knowing Jason T. Gaffney and the insipid and unknowing Kevin Held. Join these two buddies as they explore history and find the bright side in shitty things. Hello. Hello. You're on the bright side with Kevin and Jason. Yay. I am your co-host, Kevin Held. And I'm your other co-host, Jason T. Gaffney. Jason T. Gaffney. Welcome back to your house. Thank you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure coming here. Yay. I love driving through LA traffic for you. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I'm going to pretend that you meant that genuinely. I do mean that genuinely. (laughs) Sass, I'm a fan. I do. I actually love my time in the car. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, because I listen to all my podcasts. I like that. That's right. I like that. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to get Matt on board with that. I think he's getting there. What? He's listening to podcasts other than ours? No. Well, oh. <laughs> no, of course not. He only listens to ours on repeat. <laughs> well, that's how people should do it. I know. That's the only way it should be done. Then you'll really know the history. All right. Now that we're here, everyone, you don't need those other podcasts. You don't need them anymore. But if you do want to listen to other podcasts, uh, maybe at some point we'll give you some recommendations. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, we can definitely start with there's two that I just love uh, and that are run by friends, Vic in a Box Yay. and Nerdy Bitches. I love it. These are really fun podcasts uh, with very different you know, thrusts and, and, and things oh. to talk about. Well, yeah, oh. <laughs> you have very different thrusts. I know. I like to keep it uh, uh, varied and you like spicy. To, mm-hmm, you like to vary the I like thrust. to, like, slow and sensual and then mm-hmm. a quick little jab uh-huh, just little, to keep people screaming in a weird way. little circular move occasionally. <laughs> yeah, that's how I sort yeah. of curate my podcast experience. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, so we're on the bright side and we are here in Sherman Oaks. Yeah. Once again, as we love to be. Uh, and we are going to talk about something awful. You've got something in store. Yeah, right? it's a weird one. The way you've been talking about it, I feel like we should get to it pretty quick. Okay, you know, but we have to do the bright spot. No, of course we're going to do the bright spot. But also we should talk about the fact that you basically have a movie in the can. Yes, I do. That's right. Yeah, and well, you do as well because you're a part of it. Well, I suppose, but my part of it was done months ago. Well, yeah. So I, you know, but, it's your accomplishment. Yeah, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, I know it, it's great. Uh, I just finished up the credits for analysis paralysis, and it's uh, it is a weird emotional roller coaster because you're like you spend a year and a half to two years on a project from the first idea of it writing Mm -hmm. all the way through production, all the way through post-production. And then when you finally see it, you're kind of like, I never want to see this again (laughs) because I've seen it nonstop for two years. It's fine though, because now it's time for other people to see it. I know. And and enjoy it and watch it over and over again. And no other movie. Exactly. Yeah. You can intersperse it with listening to our podcast. Okay. You can go watch our movie and then listen to our podcast. Yeah. That's so. That's, that's and where we're creating a media empire here. You could also watch it while listening to the podcast. Oh, you could, but you'd have to have some some weird <laughs> sound Super going human, on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we will get to that very soon. We'll get to the meat of the show very soon. But uh, for those of us who uh, are joining us for the first time, uh, or those of us who are really expecting this because they love it every week, uh, we're going to talk about something else first called the bright spot. The bright spot is something that we can take. From the news this week or this month or very recently, and that we can just find the good in right away. I love it. Because there's plenty of bad news. Oh, yeah. You know. It's just a torrent of shit. Yeah. So what we what we do is we find that nugget <laughs> like, of, of not shit. In the... There be not shit in them there hills. Right, like the corn kernel 
in the shit. The still intact corn kernel oh, that's perfect. It's so golden. Yeah. It's so ripe. <laughs> that's, that's what this is. <laughs> anyway, this week's bright spot for me was a complete no-brainer because we remember the, the two African-American men who were arrested at a Starbucks uh-huh. last month for no reason. Well, the reason was that the person called the police and them was a racist. Well, okay, for, for, for the reason of racism, yes. Yeah. That's why they were arrested, uh, but for absolutely no reason. Those two men, uh, Rashawn Nelson and Dante Robinson in Philadelphia, have reached a settlement with the uh, city of Philadelphia. And you know what, did you hear about the settlement, what their settlement is? No. One dollar. Okay. And the city will fund $200,000 for a grant program for high school students aspiring to become entrepreneurs. I love that. These two gentlemen who were arrested for absolutely no reason and have complete and total clear-cut case against the city decided not to take money from the city for themselves but decided to help their community uh, to take a symbolic settlement with the city where they, you know, admit guilt uh, for a dollar. But then the actual money goes to helping high school students who want to better their lives and learn about financial literacy and be, how to become entrepreneurs. That is wonderful. It is wonderful. And I think it's I, it's just the, those guys are inspiring to me and way better than I would be in that situation. You know what I mean? I'm taking the Starbucks. I'm taking the street. I would be a franchise owner now. I mean, Starbucks is privately owned, but I would own my own (laughs) Starbucks somehow. Uh, Kevin Starbucks. Yeah. So anyway, that, that's, that's the bright spot I have. And it's simple, but it's beautiful. I've been thinking about that incident and wanting to use it for a bright spot, but I think this is the time to do it. Not necessarily to, because I do think that Starbucks is making the right decision to do racial training and shut down their stores, Yep. Um, but this is the really inspiring story out of this, oh, because totally. people who were obviously wronged turned that into helping others. Mm-hmm. They actually turned, a, they got slapped on the one cheek and they turned the other cheek, True. and they ended up using that bad experience to help benefit who knows how many countless hundreds and thousands of people yeah and they hope this is a one-year program but they hope that it'll be uh renewable you know that'd be so great that would be great and that is the bright spot that i have and i really i just salute those guys because they're pretty amazing citizens thank you for informing me on that and also for anyone out there who may not have heard what the settlement was it's my pleasure i love that i I love i'm surprised it happened so fast well, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's obvious, you know? I mean, like, the police came right back and said, you know, this was wrong. Right. Like, there was just no no position to defend on anyone's part, except yeah. for those those two gentlemen who were wrongly arrested. Right. You know? Ugh. Yeah. Which, I'm, I'm glad that that was so fucking obvious so fast. Well, there's other things that are so fucking obvious, sure. and they still don't turn out right, so... True. We're, it's a step in the right direction. Absolutely. And hopefully next time we just won't arrest people because they're black. Yeah, let's do that. Let's work on that. Alright, All right. so that's that's step phase two <laughs> is just don't arrest people and hey, it'll be a lot cheaper for you, Philadelphia. Yeah. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> that's the bright spot. Now we're going to get into the meat of the show where Jason yes. T. Gaffney has gone and found something and the way he's talking about it, I don't know what we're talking about today, but the way he's indicating things it looks like it's gonna be a doozy so yeah. we'll just jump right into it we're getting getting there a little early today but that's fine i love it i All love right. it what are we talking about today we're gonna start with the word shade 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 is oh, defined yes. as publicly criticizing or expressing contempt for someone okay yeah sure so let's thank me- you for thanks for defining that for the non-gays out there <laughs> there are probably like two people who are non-gay listening to us <laughs> 
So let us. Well, actually, you know, now that you mention it, we should probably say thank you to our international listeners. Yeah, uh, thank you. We've got some people who've been listening in in the UK, Thailand, Singapore, and Canada. Yes, and we love that. We're throwing no shade your way. No, please no shade. keep you know spread the word over there. Yes, I don't know what the word in Thailand is for podcast, but you know, spread it. Yeah, spread it and dance it out. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. All right, we're talking about shade today. Okay, right. so let's meet some of the queens of shade. Yes, let's do. <laughs> okay. Is that what we're talking about? Shady queens today? Betty Davis okay. was born in... Uh, <laughs> oh, I didn't actually find her birthday. <laughs> no. Okay. Oopsie. Anyway, she was born and she made her first on-screen appearance in Hollywood in 1931. Okay. Joan Crawford... Oh! ...was God. also born and... Are we doing the feud between <laughs> Betty Davis and Joan Crawford? <laughs> and made her first on-screen appearance in 1925. I love it. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. I I so I live in West Hollywood mm-hmm. uh, near a street called Fountain mm-hmm. and I live near a place where she used to live. Where did she actually live in West Hollywood? Uh, she lived on my street. She lived on your street? Yeah. I didn't yeah, know down that. the way. We have those double-decker, the open-air TMZ buses that come yeah. up our street, you know. I didn't Not know TMZ they... so much, because oh. they don't care about Betty Davis, but the other one, the Hollywood right. History Tour. Fucking rude. Mm-hmm. You should well, always care about Betty Davis. You should, but TMZ doesn't care about anyone who isn't currently slinging shit in the media right now. <laughs> so, like, she's who is dead. <laughs> Showing their vagina. Exactly, exactly. Shaving their heads. Yeah. But she had that famous line. Well, we'll probably get there. Anyway. Oh, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. That I'm just line, excited. I'm excited. That line actually does not make it into this, so you should say it. Oh, fantastic. So, she was asked, this is, the, this is maybe apocryphal, but a great story about Betty Davis, where she was asked by this snotty little young girl, you know, in the twilight of your career, Miss Davis, do you have a suggestion about how an ingenue could make it through Hollywood? And Betty takes a long drag on her cigarette and says take Fountain. And Fountain is a street that's between Santa Monica and Sunset that goes through Hollywood. That's her advice. But see, how shady is that? That's throwing shade. Yeah, because the the young woman clearly meant something different, but she said it in such a snotty way that Deserve that absolutely. So okay, these these actresses—they're famous for some really amazing films, mm-hmm. and both of them are Academy Award-winning Best Actresses. Okay, winners. Mm-hmm. The other thing that they're famous for is their hatred of one another yes. through their career. Yes. <laughs> It didn't help that Davis came to Hollywood after Crawford, and Crawford was already a star. Okay. So Crawford, apparently, Ava peroned her way to the top of Hollywood. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> what, she, what does that mean? Uh, she basically slept her way to the oh, top. Oh, I see. She kept okay. finding someone more important, sure. and then would leave the other and bang her way up there. Fantastic. Um, bang it out, Yeah, Joan. <laughs> and uh, she eventually would marry Douglas Fairbanks Jr. I, th- I feel like I'm, I'm going to have to like interpret for the non-gays. Yeah. <laughs> like people who aren't Broadway literate. I'll just take on that responsibility, that, okay? That would, that would be good. Evita was a Broadway musical. <laughs> <laughs> Not just a movie with Madonna, okay? Yeah. More people than Madonna did Ava Perone. Uh, one person did Ava Perone right, and it was... St. Patty. Yep. Mm-hmm. LaBelle. Nope. No! Yeah. <laughs> so, Davis was uh, coming out here as a Broadway-trained actress. from L- To L.A. from Broadway. Okay. Yeah, she came out and was like, I have something to admit. Yeah. I'm a Broadway actress. <gasps> <laughs> but so she slummed it in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> when Davis finally got above the title billing for the film X-Lady, Crawford decided... That's your story. I know. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Crawford decided to tell the world she was leaving her husband, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Okay. This would lead to the New York Times writing only a short paragraph about Davis and her movie and several pages on Crawford. Oh. And uh, it was a big deal because, as a result, X-Lady only lasted a few weeks in the theaters due to lousy attendance. And, they, and Betty Davis wants to... To blame Joan Crawford for this? Well, yeah, because basically this was supposed to be Betty Davis's big coming out moment. Uh-huh. And Crawford was like, oh, I see this movie's about to happen. Let me wow. drop my divorce right. on the same day. Like, it was the same day. All right. Like, it was, oh, okay. it was strategy. All right. Crawford was the queen of knowing how to manipulate the press. That's interesting. That We're going like to get there, aren't we? Oh, yeah. that's, oh, that's exciting. So, as, uh, this is, th- see, this is the kind of gay-friendly content you're just <laughs> not going to get with a lot of other podcasts. <laughs> it's true. So this stole the spotlight from Davis and what was a very important moment in her career. Like, the, to be the, the first time that you get above the title billing sure. is a big deal. I imagine it is. And then when it flops... <laughs> <laughs> getting it with analysis paralysis. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought I was throwing shade, but really I'm an asshole. Okay. That's fine. I was like, damn, ah. Daniel. <laughs> so... Uh, Davis actually hated how Crawford played this game and is quoted as saying, quote, Miss Crawford is a movie star and I am an actress. Oh, oh good shade. In addition to that, Crawford was having an affair with Clark Gable. Hello. Um, they were co-stars in eight films. Okay. In fact, they were caught by writer Adela Rogers St. John's at the Coconut Grove. Oh. Uh, they apparently left their table where their spouses, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and Rita uh, Langham, Langham yeah. uh, were both sitting and went out and made out with each other. Okay. They were at the same restaurant and, like, left their spouses at the tables? They, and no, then... no, no. At the same table. They went together the double oh. date. And oh, then my God. one went to the bathroom and the other followed. Well, maybe, you know, Rita and Douglas got it on... And played some footsie. I mean, maybe. I hope they did. I know. love footsie. Footsie's really fun. That's good. Yeah. We're playing it right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you like it, too. <laughs> so, Adela Rogers St. John's, I love that giant name. That's a lot. Would write in her book, uh, Bet and Joan, The Divine Feud, quote, Gable's wife and Crawford's husband were sitting out front at a table. I literally felt stunned when I found them stuck to each other behind a bandstand. Clark had his back to me, and she had her legs wrapped around him in a position that only a supple dancer like Joan could assume. I yelled something stupid at them. Mm. They straightened themselves out, adjusted their clothes, and Joan, when she saw it was only me, said, Adela, darling. Mm. Adela, darling. (laughs) So Crawford then apparently sent Adela flowers the next day with a note that read, quote, I bet you were thrilled watching. Jeez. <laughs> She's got I, a high opinion of herself. I know. I love it. Crawford has is nobody's. Uh-huh. Um, oh, God. She's just horrible. Yeah. And I love it. So St. John's confessed that she was. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is good. So... Davis, however, was envious of Crawford's ability to win over Clark like that, because uh-huh. she had a crush on him, too. Well, who didn't? I mean, Clark who da- Gable yeah. was a dreamboat. Yeah, who wouldn't now? Mm-hmm. So, their lifelong feud, though, would really begin around 1935, when Davis was filming Dangerous, mm. and fell in love with her co-star, Fanshawe Tone. Is that, that really how you say it? I, 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 that's how I read it. Okay, cool. So, Bette is quoted saying, I fell in love with Fanshawe professionally and privately. Mm. Everything about him reflected his elegance from his name to his manners. Mm. Although we don't know what his name was. I know. 
<laughs> but he had nice manners. So, Joan Crawford was a very hot commodity at this time, mm-hmm. uh, and was considered quite the sex symbol. Oh, sure. She was at MGM. She was a contract player at MGM, yep. was she? Uh, sex kitten. Yeah. Joan Crawford. So, for some reason, she found herself also infatuated with uh, Francho. No. Uh, and having <gasps> recently divorced... Her first husband invited him over to her house for dinner. Oh, goodness. She greeted him in the solarium completely nude. <gasps> <laughs> okay. One. Welcome to I my love house. her. I love her. <laughs> Two. I extra, extra, extra love her for fucking, like, answering the door naked. And three. She has a solarium. Yeah. Yes. Maybe she was just getting a tan? Sure. Probably not. Sure. It was nighttime. <laughs> Uh, either way, she ended up dating him and then marrying him after Dangerous Rap. Wow! But she married him. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you if that's the way the relationship starts. Oh. Yeah, you're married. I mean, he's other. like, fuck yeah, yeah. So, but, but in French, so fuck yeah, fuck oui, 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 ha ha. Uh, but during the f- filming of Dangerous, Crawford would meet with uh, Frenchot for lunch every day, and he would come back to set covered in lipstick. <laughs> Crawford said that <laughs> Frenchot said that he, quote, thought Betty was a good actress, but he never thought of her as a woman, end quote. Whoa! <laughs> Betty was devastated and jealous. Sure. I mean, here's the thing. I'm devastated and jealous. That's how bad that was. I, I've definitely done shows before and when I was younger I would have crushes on people and then they would start dating someone else in the show and I would be devastated devastated. and jealous I was totally the Betty Davis sure and um well no one looks at you and sees a woman either oh god an actress but not a woman (laughs) (laughs) so okay they would announce their engagement in the middle of filming, which okay. can you imagine like working with someone that you're falling in love with and then like you find out that they're engaged to someone that you hate? Ugh. Like that's just, that's just rude. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Betty may not have won the man, but she did go on to win her first best actress award for this movie. See, that's good compensation. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. is. Yeah. It is. Um, it just is. So, quote, she took him from me. She did it coldly, deliberately, and with complete ruthlessness. Ooh. I have never forgiven her for that, and I never will. Whoa. End quote. Betty uh, said about the incident later in life in a 1987 interview. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, maybe you held a little grudge. 1987? Yeah, just, you know, just for 50, 50 years. years. <laughs> but, you know, she's over it now. Yeah. Crawford and Tone remained married until 1938. Three years later. Yeah. Just after Davis won her second Best Actress Award for Jezebel. Uh Uh-huh. The life story of Joan Crawford. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, in 1936, when Betty Davis won her second Oscar, uh, there was quite a scandal about the dress she wore. Really? Was not Angelina Jolie slit all up the side with one leg hanging out? No, uh, Davis didn't think there was any way she'd win, so Mm -hmm. she wore a plain navy dress. Really? Yeah, super plain. Oh. Um, And I read that it was... Remember when that would be the good scandal? I know, when you wore a tan suit. Yeah, or you just like, just a plain dress and everyone's like, how could she? Yeah. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. she wore the plain navy dress, Mm -hmm. um, and it was a jab at Jack Warner, who made her go because of something to do with protesting the establishment of SAG, the Screen Actors Guild. Oh, yeah. So, like, she didn't want to go because she didn't think she was going to win. And yeah. he's like, no, you have to go and be anti-SAG or whatever. Oh. I don't know. It, it yeah. didn't work out for anyone. Well, no, because SAG is now... The main thing. Yeah. Thanks, SAG. I'm after. very pro-SAG. Thank you. Yeah. Well, she ended up winning, 
And when she was heading to the stage, apparently Crawford's husband, Tone, stood up, hugged Davis, and congratulated her. Uh-oh. And so, then, then Crawford divorced him immediately. Crawford kept her back to Betty and Franchot, and her husband, Franchot, called her out on being a snotty asshole, basically. Whoa. He said, probably at the time, like, you're being rude. Uh-huh. Uh, Joan, in response, turned to Betty and said condescendingly, quote, Dear Betty, what a lovely frock. Uh-huh. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> so, apparently a lot of people were really offended that she wore such a plain dress. Okay. Uh, Davis is quoted saying, quote, One reporter wrote that I wore an inexpensive house dress. That was not true. My dress was simple but expensive. It was a dinner dress. It suited the occasion perfectly because I didn't feel I deserved to win. Wow. End quote. So Crawford's second husband and Clark Gable weren't the only men that both women had romantic interest in, though. Oh, no. They both would have an experience with Henry Fonda. Oh. Yep. Davis, wow. in 1927, would share a quick kiss with him. And <laughs> quick kiss. So that's that's her version. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna telegraph that Joan Crawford, whatever, like fucked him silly. Yeah, fucked him like on on in the fifty yard line. Talking... During the football game. During a football game. <laughs> yes. Uh, as a practical joke, Davis sent uh, Henry Fonda a letter that read, "Quote: I've told mother about our lovely experience together in the moonlight. She will announce the engagement when we get home." Mm-hmm. End quote. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fonda's quoted remembering that thought that he thought, "Quote." holy shit, one kiss and I'm engaged. <laughs> that's how naive I was. And that's what a devil Betty Davis could be at 17. Wow. For years, whenever I saw Betty Davis, I'd give her a wide berth. Jeez. Quote. I'm like, it was a joke. Yeah. Get over it. Wow. You kissed her, you jerk. So Crawford, on the other hand, went in a far more sexual direction. What? Shocking, what? right? What? She had the costume department on the film she was working on create a red sequin jock strap for him. What? Yep. She wrapped it in a box and gave it to him. Oh my God. When he didn't bring it up, she forced the issue during a take where he's carrying her up the stairs. What movie are they working on? Um, I actually don't know if I put that in. But they were working on a movie together yeah. during this thing. Okay, and and uh, so she's carrying her, and she whispers in his ear about how she wants him to wear it for her privately. Okay. His response was almost to drop her. Oh, well, <laughs> sure. I would maybe have done it on purpose, yeah. yeah. Well, because oh here's God. the thing. You think about it. He's like, you know, like, here's this beautiful lady, and she wants to sleep with me. She gave me a jock strap. And yeah. Just, damn. Yeah. Like, but I, all the, those are kind of weird moves. Oh, no, it's totally weird. For sure. It'd be, it, it would even be weird it, for, like, another gay man to do that to me if it, I was it's single. It's weird for anyone to do this to anyone. <laughs> all right? Well, I mean, you don't this get is, okay, gifted this is... jock straps constantly? Not constantly. <laughs> and not sequined ones. Well, that's just a shame. Well, she had the whole costume department working on it, you know. <laughs> Hand stitching sequins. Absolutely. The... This will be where his balls go. <laughs> <laughs> don't know why they're British. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if anybody would like to gift me a bedazzled jock strap, I'd be happy to take it and wear it for you privately. Yes. Sure. No problem. I'm your private dancer. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. um,. Betty would go on about how Crawford was overtly sexual and is quoted saying, she slept with every male star at MGM except Lassie, end quote. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good quote. (laughs) Crawford's response would be to say this about Betty, quote, poor Betty, she looks like she'd never had a happy day or night in her life. (laughs) End quote. (laughs) (laughs) I just love, they're so hostile. Uh, 
Shade. Uh, so, okay, so here's the deal. Betty Davis is all like cynical and she's and, like the aggrieved good woman. Well, she, yeah, sure. and, and but she was no saint. Okay? okay, when she was married to her first husband, she had an affair with Howard Hughes. Hello, he was a wealthy man and an aviator. I think we all know that who was having a bout of impotence. Oh, that's a bad time to have an affair with someone. I know. No. So Charles uh, Higgum, an author on Davis's life, is quoted as writing that she quote who was not beautiful and thus not threatening, told her her friends she managed to help him overcome his problem in the bedroom. Wow. She was sweet and kind and good to Hughes. She set his mind free of anxiety. End so quote. all he needed was a plain Jane. Yeah, he oh. needed a plain navy dress to fuck. Well, that's it. You know, he, he was going for these, like, starlets and, like, young ingenues all the time. So yeah. let this be a lesson to you, everybody. Sometimes you just need one of us normal folks. <laughs> <laughs> to get you over the hump, into the hump, humping again. Yeah. Betty Davis's husband, however, figured out she was having an affair mm-hmm. and hired a PI to catch them. He so wired... she was married during this. Okay. Yeah. So he wired their own house. So Hello. she'd bring him home and sleep with him there and stuff. At, at her, at in her, her own bed? I know. In our bed. <laughs> Betty. In our Betty bed. <laughs> So, <laughs> you know she called it that in yeah. her mind. Come to my Betty bed. My Betty bed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got the evidence and then blackmailed them both. Oh. I'm assuming he was going to divorce her because he would blackmailed her. So Otherwise, too. it just doesn't really work out. You blackmail your wife yeah. for years. <laughs> be a great job. So, Hughes paid the blackmail sum of 70000 to have the record destroyed. Oh. And Davis would take out a loan to pay Howard back. He accepted the money and sent her a rose every year on the anniversary of the Kodak. Jeez. As a thank you. Shows, you know, God, she helps him get over his erectile dysfunction, and this is the thanks she gets. A rose. A single rose every year when she sends her check for (laughs) (laughs) $20,000. So, in 1943, Crawford switched studios and signed on with Warner Brothers, which was the studio that Davis was signed with at the time. Well, nothing bad can come of that. And at this time, Joan apparently tried to call a truce. Oh, she demanded to be in the dressing room right next to Betty Davis mm-hmm. and sent her a ton of gifts and flowers. Mm-hmm. Davis's response was to return them all. <gasps> oh, <laughs> man. That's good shade. So now they were not only searching for the spotlight out in the open, they were now going to be competing for similar roles in the same studio house. Right, because they're kind of similar people. Act- right. Actress. Oh, wow. Davis turned down the lead role in the movie Mildred Pierce, and Crawford snatched it up and then would go on to win the Oscar for Best Actress for it. Okay. Uh, It would be the first of Joan's two Oscar scandals. Scandals? She was so convinced that she wouldn't win that she faked an illness on the Oscar night. Okay. That she faked that she had the flu. Okay. She was sure that Ingrid Bergman was going to win. Okay. This is a quote from Crawford. I was hopeful, scared, apprehensive, so afraid I wouldn't remember what I wanted to say, terrified at the thought of looking at those people. I can compete with a servant girl, Greer Garson, with a tramp, Jean Tierney, and amnesiac, Jennifer Jones, uh, but not with a nun. So she's like, I won't win versus that the person who's playing a nun. Sure. But I love that she's like, I can beat the other three. I've calculated this. I'll beat their asses. I Yeah, servant girl I've got. Tramp, no problem. Amnesiac, who even remembers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but a nun? 
No way. So she stayed home and wore an expensive nightgown and oh. listened to the show via radio. Oh, that's so sad. When she learned that she had won the Oscar, she sprang out of bed and called into the other room where she had a hired makeup artist and hairdresser waiting, and they came in the room to make her up. She Lord would, on high. Later, they she, were waiting in the next room in case she just won. in case. She would later pose in her bed with the Oscar for the press for the next day. She then went on to have an after party at her place for the rest of the night. Oh my god. I know. I love it. She's like, I've got the flu. I won. <laughs> Fuck the flu. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, wow. here's the deal. Even if I had the flu and I, I won an Oscar, I'm going out. Well, if you, yeah. You know, like, it's, oh no, I'm I would have a celebrate. party at my house. Yeah. That's fine. Party at my house is no problem. I yeah. have a solarium. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, your house is fine. If you have a solarium, you can have a party there. Everybody be naked. But I don't care if you have a flu or not. You show up to the Oscars I if know. you're nominated. Yeah. yeah come on. So Get she, it together, Joan. <laughs> then later on, Davis would pass on another role in the film Possessed, mm-hmm. and Crawford would jump in to take it and received another nomination. Jeez. Yeah. Stop passing on stuff, Betty. I know. Uh, Crawford wasn't the only crazy one, though. No, uh, no. Davis, not. when preparing for a film called A Stolen Life, was supposedly supposed to act with opposite a dog. Okay. Um, she was supposed to be playing a character who was her sister's dead twin, and the dog was supposed to know that she was not the twin. So, like, she, her twin died, and then she took over sure. that twin's life. Zany Hollywood plots. Yeah, right? Sure. So she wanted a dog that could really act. And oh, she wow. demanded <laughs> that she be present when they auditioned the dogs, and okay. then she'd choose. Okay. And uh, the film's director, Curtis Bernhardt, is quoted saying, quote, She spent an entire day auditioning dogs. Every professional and semi-professional canine in Los Angeles were brought into Warners. Big dogs, small dogs, poodles, schnauzers, cocker spaniels, collies. Eventually, she picked a wire terrier. No wire terriers! <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I could not help myself. I really could not. So, apparently, she was such a pain to work with, though, that the dog eventually avoided her. <laughs> And wouldn't go near her at all. <laughs> the dog stopped working with her. Curtis said, quote, When they got to shooting the scene, the little thing was terrified of Betty. Sure. He wouldn't go near her, let alone smell her. Oh my god. <laughs> the dog said, quote, Listen, I lick my own asshole, but I can't deal with this. I know. Wow. In the 1950s, <sighs> Warner Brothers wanted Crawford and Davis to co-star in a movie together called Caged. Yeah, that can't go badly. Uh, it was a movie about women in prison. Ooh, hot. I know, fun, right? Mm-hmm. So Davis didn't want to do the movie, however, and is quoted saying the film was, quote, a dyke movie. Sure, that's what I thought it was. <laughs> I just love that back then it's just so like, yeah, that's what you'd say. No, nah, I don't want to do that dyke movie. It's a dyke movie, no. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. It's funny, she really, you know comes off as, as being one of the worst of the worst, you know, people. Like, right. But I kind of really like her. Joan Crawford? <laughs> no, Joan Crawford, has, she's got flaws, but she's not, like, there's reasons behind yeah. it. Yeah, and yeah. Betty Davis, who, like, comes across as this angel, she was not that perfect. Right, like, right. Like, they both were equally flawed. It's, it's interesting, because, you know, your image and then your the truth is, is so different. Yeah. So, Crawford apparently had relationships with men and women, and people suspected that she actually had a fierce attraction to Davis. Mm. Mm. Which would make sense. I, I like the idea I don't know. of like she's not very pretty. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I just like the idea that Crawford's like pulling Betty Davis's ponytail on the playground kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like that's why she's so mean. Mm-hmm. She's like, I secretly want to fuck you mm-hmm. in both holes. Oh wow! Wow! <laughs> Bam! Aren't there three? I don't know. Um, what? I don't know. Oh. Uh, 
Anyway, uh, so other female stars that Crawford slept with were uh, Marlene... D- is it Dietrich? Marlena. Marlene. Dietrich, yeah. Oh, it's Marlena? Marlena Dietrich. Why does it say Marlene? I, That's weird. Because you wrote it wrong. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Barbara Stanwyck, uh-huh. uh, Greta Garbo, and apparently Marilyn Monroe. So Crawford is like romantically linked to all those women? Apparently. Okay. Jerry Asher, one of Crawford's closest friends and confidant, would reveal that Crawford said, Franchot isn't interested in Betty, but I wouldn't mind giving her a poke if it, I was in the right mood. Wouldn't that be funny? Oh my god. I know. So here's the best thing. I love that it's like he's one of the closest confidants, and then he's revealing these deep secrets. Oh yeah, it's like no the, kidding. The perfect gay world. You can't world. trust anyone. It's like, it, it's like, don't tell any friends, and five seconds later, just between us girls, yeah. we're on like a, a, a conference call with 20 people. Absolutely. Nothing stays secret for long back then, it feels like. You know, no. all this shit comes out eventually. Well, and what that's what's so funny is that like we didn't have social media back Back then mm-hmm. and yet all this shit came out mm-hmm. like people knew everything it's so funny because like i really don't follow gossip columns or like i don't really follow celebrity news any more than big headlines that just show up in my feed or whatever right but this kind of stuff is like really fascinating to me i guess because it's like so so long ago you know right well and, and like this was big entertainment back then sure like this was i mean it is now for like you know Taylor Swift, Katy Perry. Yeah, I think like, what it is though is part, partly because like this stuff you have to like this was half of their lives was like hiding their true feelings or you know what I'm saying. But now probably. we know what brand of ice cream Jennifer Garner got today. You right? Know? Like who who really cares? But like everything is out there, you know, and it's just like too much information right. now. But this kind of like searching for crumbs and signs and stuff and what people said behind closed doors is kind of yeah. really and like fascinating. Who, who slept with who? Who slept with whom? <laughs> yeah. So Jerry. Well, Asher... the answer is Crawford slept with everybody. I know, <laughs> except Lassie. Right. <laughs> Jerry Asher later would go on to say that he thought Joan was interested in Davis more for her energy and her spunk and less mm. for her sexualness. Mm. But that, quote, Betty was always convinced due to her ego that Joan had the hots for her. And that's one reason that she was always so antagonistic and called her a phony. End wow. quote. Okay. Davis would go on to talk about this later on in an interview with Michael Thornton, a journalist in 1987. Um, she would go on to tell him that Crawford made a move on Davis and she turned her down. Hello. And uh, believed that that was why Crawford shoved her relationship with Tone in her face so much, like as revenge. Okay. In 1952, Betty Davis would go on to play a role uh, making fun of Crawford. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. The film was written by Catherine Albert, mm-hmm. who was once Crawford's friend, but they had a falling out due to the fact that Crawford convinced Catherine's daughter to marry a man that Catherine didn't approve of. Hmm. And so then she writes a script basically oh, no. about Crawford. Okay, the the moral of the story is going to be don't piss off the writer. Right. Okay. The lead role with a fading actress <laughs> who was distraught and clutching to her disappearing fame. <laughs> and it was well known that it was supposed to be Crawford. Okay. Crawford, however, would uh, clap back in the best way possible by saying that she didn't view that Davis as a rival. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, she wanted to say that Davis and Crawford played a ton of different roles, which was true. Mm-hmm. Davis is quoted saying, Why am I so good at playing bitches? I think it's because I'm not a bitch. Maybe that's why Joan Crawford always plays ladies. (laughs) End quote. Yes! (laughs) More shade. I know. I just love it. I feel like we need to have a tally board in here. I know. That's like, whoop, one for her. I know. Here's the thing. I think that, like, Crawford is really fucking smart and she knows how to manipulate the media. 
But Davis is just like, I would never want to be on her bad side because she is so sharp. Yeah. So anyway, Crawford would go on to say things like, quote, Miss Davis was always partial to covering up her face in motion pictures. <laughs> she called it art. <laughs> Others might call it camouflage, a cover-up for the absence of any real beauty. Whoa. Uh, and she has a cult. And what the hell is a cult except a gang of rebels without a cause? I have fans. There's a big difference. Whoa! <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so Crawford saw... Okay. Whoop, one for Crawford. I know. Wow. So Crawford saw themselves in different leagues, which was funny because apparently she was always pissed off that people saw Davis as an actress and Crawford just as a star. Oh, yeah. That's going to be my problem, too. Yeah. Don't, don't see me just as a star. Yeah. I'm also an actress. I'm an accomplished actress. Yeah. I don't know. I'd be okay with being known as just a star. Yeah. It'd be fine. So, <laughs> now we get to the bulk of their explosion. Oh, yeah. Whatever happened right now, to Baby been... Jane? I don't know, but tell me. It's a movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember Jane being a part of this. I know. So, right. here's the best part. Like, all this time, shit's gone down. Yeah, sure. And and we're just now this getting This has all the part. just been skirmishes. Yeah. Fantastic. So... This is the only movie that the two women would actually star in together, and it would be one of their most famous. Okay. It was 1962, and both of them were no longer at Warner Brothers, and both of them were struggling to find work. Sure. They're 30 years in the business. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and back in that day, women, once they reached a certain age, they were just kind of tossed aside. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's different now. Yeah, I mean, no, it's not, but it, it's well, it changing. You know, there's, there's that um, movie that's coming out with... Uh, Ocean 13? No, well, that one, um, um, but also the, I don't know, it's just some white women book club movie with Candace Bergen <laughs> and... Uh, and <laughs> it's called White Women Book Club. It is called White Women Book Club. It's uh, Candace Bergen and um, Diane Keaton. Uh, and Jane Fonda, like old white women, right? All of whom remind me of my mother. Like, I'm like, oh, she reminds me of my mom. Oh, she reminds me of my Oh, she I think it's just old white women remind me of my mother. <laughs> and they couldn't find one woman of color to, to be in that movie? Um, It's called White Woman Book Club. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Hollywood, you can do better. We can, look, we can work on racism or we can work on ageism, okay? But not both at the same not time. Not both at the same time. All right, so just cool uh, your jets. Man, I love Frances McDormand's statement about uh, the writer of inclusion in the Oscars. Did you hear about this? No. Frances McDormand basically said... Um, when she won, she's like, I, I, I call upon every producer to, to sign a writer of inclusion where mm. 50% of the cast and crew will be women and minorities mm. so that the movie isn't just a bunch of old white guys sure. making a movie with like a handful of people who are different. Well, good. Well, yeah. So anyway, White Woman Book Club, you're doing fine because there are a lot of women, but <laughs> you might want to get some other people in there too. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. Um, um, so, they're struggling to find work. Uh, Joan had read the book of the film. Uh, there was, like, a book first, and it turned into a film. Okay. And, uh, and thought that the two of them together could make this movie a hit. Apparently, I guess, Robert Ald- Aldrich, the director, really mm-hmm. thought that the two of them could work together, but Joan, like, really took it the rest of the way. Okay. Like, he gives her most of the credit. Hmm. Uh, because Joan actually approached Davis and see if she would do the film. Mm-hmm. Davis said that she would only do it if she could play Jane, mm-hmm. and if she could get reassurance that Crawford wasn't sleeping with the film's director, Robert Aldrich. Oh, wow, okay. Because she was worried that if she was, then she would get yeah, bad shit treatment. On. Yeah. yeah. He said that he wasn't sleeping with her, and that she was Jane, and she was in. Okay. <laughs> like, I have two conditions. I'm meeting those two conditions. Well, all right, then. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so, because they were no longer the box office draw that they were, they weren't offered huge advances, and instead had to accept payment in the back end. I've 
occasionally accepted payment in the back end. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. You know what I mean? Yep. All right. I have accepted payment in the back end as well. I'm sure you have. There's a lot of screaming involved, but it always turns out good. Mm-hmm. Wait, I just mean payment after the job is done. What were you talking about? But sex. So oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> They both needed this movie to succeed uh, if they were going to see monetary gain from it, basically. Sure. Um, at first, they were able to play nice with each other. In fact, Joan is quoted as saying, quote, I can't speak for her. I can only speak for myself. And in doing that, I can only say I didn't have a feud with her, end quote. Who said this? Uh, Joan Crawford. Okay. Uh, Not da- buying it. Davis would respond with, quote, that is so Joan Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> End quote. Yeah. Before long, as you guessed it, they were going at it. Sure. Uh, oh, good, good, good. We're back to stasis. Thank God. That moment of of like truce was, really bothered it me. It was actually really unsettling for the yeah. world. They were like, uh, it worried uh. me. <laughs> Crawford apparently was sending notes and gifts to the crew, uh, which Davis viewed as her trying to win over the affection over hers. So she sent Crawford a note that read, "quote in all caps, get off the crap." Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Both would call Robert Knightley to complain about the other actress. Okay. So her big problem is that she's, like, giving gifts to the... Oh, man. So Dave... just give gifts. Yeah. Davis would loudly say, quote, that phony cunt, end quote, in places where Crawford could hear her. <laughs> Davis had a Coke machine installed in her dressing room because Crawford was on board on the board of Pepsi. Okay. And was married to a high up at Pepsi. Sure, yeah. So that was, like, a great little, like, shady... Snarky that comment. is terrific, yeah. I only drink Coke. Yeah. That's the best. Who drinks Pepsi? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that phony cunt. <laughs> <laughs> As she sips her Coke. <laughs> mm. It would really come to a head later on, though, when Davis and Crawford had to do the scene where Davis's character would beat Crawford's character. Yes. <laughs> Betty's like, I need another take. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna need another take. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't feeling that one. She was like, there's no safe word. You just gotta take it. That was terrible. One more time. <laughs> one more for me, please. <laughs> this will hurt you a lot more than me. <laughs> so Crawford was actually afraid of Davis and demanded a body double. Sure. Um, but they had to get a close-up, and Davis actually did make contact with Crawford's head. Yes. Crawford, in response, screamed. Sure. Davis had quoted a saying without shame or regret, quote, I barely touched her. Wow. Some people claim, though, that Joe needed stitches after that. Oh, my God. I'm like, how hard did you fucking hit her? Well, it's been years building up to this one close-up. <laughs> this is for my husband. Yeah, no kidding. Bam! Bam! So, okay, Davis would later joke, quote, The best time I ever had with Joan Crawford was when I pushed her down the stairs and whatever happened to baby Jane, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> She's got the line. <laughs> what a time. Remember what a time that was. Remember when I pushed you down the stairs? <laughs> Joan's response was to target Betty's back. Oh. Uh, Joan's character was in a wheelchair and couldn't walk. <laughs> so, in one scene, Davis's character had to drag Crawford's character, who was unconscious. Uh-huh. Davis had a bad back, however. Okay. Joan knew this and either filled her pockets with rocks or wore a weighted belt. And went dead weight when she during the scene. <laughs> then she would purposely mess up each take so they'd have to keep redoing it. She actually coughed in one take right at the very end before they were about to be successful, and she goes right. like, 
And then the take was ruined. They're like, oh, I'm back to one. Oh, oh my the, God, that's so good. By the end of the day, uh, Davis was howling in pain, and Joan casually walked off to a dressing room. Oh, my <laughs> God. This is this is, this is. is I mean, juicy shit. This right? is great. So after filming wrapped and the movie went into theaters, it was a hit. Sure. They recouped their money in 11 days. Okay. They would gross $9 million, okay. which in 2017 money is about $72.6 million. Whoa. Yeah. They, they fucking cleaned up. Yeah. Um, wow. It was a huge win for the women, uh-huh. as Betty Davis had placed an ad in Variety two months before the film came out seeking work. Uh, it really? read, quote, 30 years experience as an actress in motion pictures, mobile <laughs> still, and more affable uh, than rumor would have it, <laughs> wants steady employment in Hollywood. In parentheses, has had Broadway. End quote. <laughs> that's the ad. She took out an ad in Broadway. Yeah. And there's like a little picture there, too. It's, oh, that's so Because good. she's so desperate for work. I mean, it's, it's, she's being tongue in cheek. Sure. But there's also like a yeah. desperation yeah, there. Yeah, she's actually looking for work. So Betty Davis would be nominated for Best Actress. And if she won, she would win her third Oscar and would be the first woman and possibly person to win three. Mm hmm. Um, Joan was not nominated for it. Oh, man. Joan would say, quote, I always knew Betty would be chosen, and I hope and pray that she wins, end quote. Mm-hmm. That's what she said in the press. Yeah, sure. Betty's response was, quote, that's so much bull. When Miss Crawford wasn't nominated, she immediately got herself booked on the Oscar show to present the Best Director Award. Then she flew to New York and deliberately campaigned against me. Whoa. She told people not to vote for me. She also called up the other nominees and told them that she would accept their statue if they couldn't show up at the ceremony. Oh, my God. God. End quote. Really? Joan called all the other Best Actress nominees and offered to accept the award on behalf of them. Oh, God. Just so that she'd be up there accepting a Best Actress award? Oh, no. She eventually won the honor from Anne Bancroft, who was nominated for The Miracle Worker. Sure. Anne originally wanted Patty Duke to accept it for her, but since she couldn't be there, because Anne couldn't be there for whatever reason, yeah. but due to a technicality where Patty Duke was nominated for her own award, she wasn't allowed to to accept on behalf of, okay. Anne, of Anne Bancroft. Yeah. So Crawford was Bancroft's woman. Okay. Then Crawford went to New York and campaigned for Bancroft to win. Oh my god! She's the worst! <laughs> She's the worst! I love her! So we come to the Oscars. Okay. Both Crawford and Davis oh were god, watching Oh god, I want them. them both to win so bad! <laughs> I have no idea what happens. Crawford and Davis were watching from the back in private dressing rooms. Okay. Crawford filled her rooms with tons of booze and Pepsi. Sure. And cheese. And, and cheese, had... by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and had a TV so that people in her room could watch the show in real time. A TV now, man. She has yeah. moved up. Sure. So when it was time to call Best Actress, both women went to wait in the wings. Oh. Davis was favorited to win. Uh-huh. Bancroft won. Oh, no. The TV show director, uh, Richard Dunlap, the Oscar live TV director, sure. had debated putting a camera backstage to watch the women, yeah. but decided that, quote, it would have been cruel, end quote. Oh, now we just put cameras on every single person who's nominated <laughs> just to see who's going to freak out when they don't win. Yeah. So Betty is quoted saying... We don't saying, care about cruel so much anymore. <laughs> That's great. Betty is quoted saying, quote, when Anne Bancroft's name was announced, I am sure I turned white, end mm. quote. Uh, when she was retelling the memory in an interview later. Sure. Quote from Vanity Fair. Joan stood instantly erect, uh, said the TV director I Richard. got instantly erect when you said that. <laughs> uh-huh. Shoulders back, neck straight, head up. Yes. She stomped out her cigarette butt, grabbed the, the hand of the stage manager, who blurted afterward, she nearly broke all my fingers with her strength. Jeez. Then, with barely an excuse me to Betty Davis, she marched past her and soared calmly on stage with the incomparable Crawford Manor. Wow. Betty bit into her cigarette and seemed to stop breathing said Dunlap she had lost the award Joan was out there suddenly it was her night that's just terrible 
Betty recalls what happened after the award was given out. Quote, Moments later, Crawford floated down the hall past my door. I will never forget the look she gave me. It was triumphant. The look said clearly said, you didn't win and I am elated. That is incredible because not, like Crawford didn't win either. No. Like she was just accepting it for somebody else, but she took it like her own victory. There's, actually, was. A, oh. there's actually a photo of the, like, you know how they do a photo of the four best actors, yeah. best supporting and best actors, all yeah. that stuff? And she's in that photo with them. And smiling as if it was sure. her Oscar. Oh my God, that is maniacal, insane. Yeah. Um, so Davis wanted to go home after that, but was convinced by people. I want to go home. I know. Can I go? Can I go home? I'm no. really, I'm really devastated. No, you need to go to the Beverly Hilton. Okay. Well, that's fine. <laughs> Crawford was there. Oh, oh. So Betty filled up a glass with no ice to the top with scotch. Nothing else mixed in. <laughs> <laughs> See, you know, you're dealing with it appropriately. I feel. Quote: This is for Labelle Crawford. Uh, end quote, Betty told the people she was with. Mm-hmm. They, she was then told that Crawford doesn't drink scotch but vodka. What is Betty's response? Mm-hmm. Quote, I don't care what she drinks. This is going into her fucking face. End quote. <laughs> uh, yes. Apparently Crawford walked into the room uh, Davis and her party was in, uh-huh. uh, saw the rage, and left. Oh, good. And she's Smart. quoted saying, quote, I refuse to be in the same room with her. I don't care how big the room is. Wow. End quote. Wow. Later, Davis would tell Barbara Walters in an interview, quote, Joan did not want me to have that Oscar. She worked very hard, campaigned very hard, talking to all of the New York people saying, if you win, I'll accept your Oscar. I thought I should have had it. The foolish part was that because we were both receiving percentages of the profits, an award would have meant a million more dollars to the film. She cut off her own nose just so I wouldn't win. Jeez. End quote. Which is true. I mean, like, there is a, like, there's a sadness there where Joan Crawford so didn't want to be eclipsed by yeah. Betty Davis right? that she she cut off her own nose. Yeah. Like, that movie could have been twice as big. Wow. Okay, so... That is just beautiful. Insane, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Like, so even but though... wonderful. <laughs> and here's the thing. Like, I, I've been on sets with, like, psychopaths before. Mm-hmm. And I generally try to avoid them because mm-hmm. I like being around the people who are fun to be around. Well, like, yeah, I, that's weird, but okay. <laughs> so my, when I was growing up, my mom told me about uh, Michael Caine and how he talks about how he's on the fun list. There's the oh. A list, the B list, the C list, and the fun list. Okay. And the fun list is the one everyone, it's like the, it's like the other A list. Oh, okay. Everyone, you're not going to be known necessarily throughout the world as like the most famous actor, but okay. you're going to be the one everyone wants on set. Michael Caine is there? Yeah. Okay. And, and, that's my goal is to be the fun list. Sure. Because like I'd rather just be hired constantly because people enjoy my presence. Well that's yeah. I mean that's the goal. Yeah. Because you don't ever fade. Why either of these people were ever hired like, <laughs> as terrible <laughs> as terrible as they sound to work. I with, know. You know. Wow. Well and and yeah, it's just it's crazy because yeah. like so all right. So even though Davis didn't win the Oscar, due to the success of the film, they were suddenly back in high demand. They both were hired in several more films, including one more together. Really? Called Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Who could ever work with... The, like, how could they the ever same, get back on the set again? Same director oh, as well. Okay. It was basically a sequel, but they would play opposite roles this time. Oh. It was supposed to be like the cousins to the other people. Okay. Crawford would fake being ill to avoid being part of the shoot and eventually would be replaced. Wow. She, I guess they told her via like the radio. Like she, they, she, they kept trying to get in touch with her, mm-hmm. and she was avoiding them. And, it, I mean, it was a whole big thing. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Crawford eventually would pass away uh, in 1970, 1977 from a heart attack. Right. Davis is quoted as saying, you should never 
say bad this, things okay, about the I dead. Okay, I hoped you were going to say this one because this is the line I know from, from Betty Davis, too. Yeah. So, like, okay. Can I do it? Yeah. Can I do it? Yeah. Okay. This is Betty Davis quoting, You should never say bad things about the dead. You should only say good. Joan Crawford is dead. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Although I was sad to learn that there's apparently no solid evidence that she said this officially. Yeah, fuck you. It <laughs> happened. I I think it happened, it too. It happened. I just feel like if we're going to be a legitimate podcast, I have to try to get that. some facts right. No. <laughs> and for the record, people... If I got things wrong, I don't care. It's supposed to make you laugh. Ha. Ha. <laughs> I'm laughing. At you. Crawford's, <laughs> Crawford's daughter would write a book called Mommy Dearest about how awful Crawford was. Right. Davis is quoted saying that she, quote, felt very sorry for Joan Crawford, but I knew she wouldn't appreciate my pity because that's the last thing she would have wanted. Anyone being sorry for her, especially me. Huh. I can understand how hurt Miss Crawford had to be. Well, no, I can't. It's like trying to imagine how I would feel if my own beloved, wonderful daughter, B.D., were to write a bad book about me. Unimaginable. Wow. End quote. Yeah. Davis's daughter would do the same thing and write a book called <laughs> My Mother's Keeper. <laughs> <laughs> well. Davis died later that year. Oh. Of shame. Yeah. Yeah. I think she had breast cancer and lung cancer or and something. And shame. Yeah. <laughs> so... Oh, and a stroke or something. Wow. Anyway, wow. So what's the bright side to all this? Oh, are we at the... Oh, we've come through. We've come through the shady, shady woods. I and know. And we're in the bright side. We've come to the bright side. Wow. I love this topic. I really do. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm sorry. Uh, it, it's fascinating. It's like... It's disturbingly fast. It's like a train wreck that you... That, like, nobody really died. Sure. So you're not like... Well, they both died. Well, yeah, they both... <laughs> <laughs> a but train wreck of two. A train wreck of two, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's what I came up with, what I thought the bright side was. Okay. For one thing, these two women kind of led the way for women not fading away once they reach a certain age in in filmmaking. Sure. Because they basically are like powerhouses. Yeah. They were stars. They were stars. Yeah, absolutely. They were like fucking supernovas. Mm -hmm. Multiple supernovas. Mm -hmm. Constant Britney meltdowns. Jeez. They also showed women that you could be strong, powerful people. Mm-hmm. And they also... And, like, players in Hollywood. Like, like they were moguls. Right. In Hollywood. Betty Davis apparently was the first female uh, president of the Academy, the, the Academy, I think. Okay, the Motion Picture Academy of yeah. Arts and Sciences. And she only lasted two months, though, because she wanted to do things. She had strong opinions. Okay. And they were like, you're just a puppet. And she's like... Fuck that. I'm not a puppet. Uh, yeah. I'm Betty Davis. Yeah. And basically she quit after two months. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. But oh. she still was the first. Well, so. sure. And, 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 you know, and they weren't good enough for her. Of course. Basically. Of course not. All right. Um, so my, the final thing I, I came up with was that they live on an infamy, uh, but they ended up creating a lot of jobs for people. A lot of historians they and did. book writers. Well, yeah. Um, and but also, also the projects that they worked on. Well, not just that, but the, the TV show feud, like mm -hmm. even in their death, their fight created a job for thousands of people that's true just just their fighting was Made like as tv series is like it. an industry and it helped that we're helping fuel right now too people. yeah that's good so Not, oh yeah someone owes us some money yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's great there is joy in those you know awful snide shady comments you right know? like i'm not necessarily like this all the time but Shade is joyful. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and you can't argue that they weren't each having fun 
when they were denigrating the other person. Well, not, so I don't think like we should not be able to. That's something. <laughs> that's something that um, that I was talking to Matt about this before doing this today. I was like, you know, there's a small part of me. He asked, "Do you think that they this was a publicity stunt? Do mm-hmm. you think that they knew they were in on it completely and they actually were friends hmm. and that they planned this so that they like?" Because I think about reality TV shows, and it wouldn't surprise me if, if people teamed up and were like, let's form an alliance, we're sure. going to hate each other, yeah. create drama, Oh yeah. we'll get to the top two, yeah. and and because the producers want the drama. Right. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was a similar thing here. I, I think it probably was more real than not. It probably started real, and, and it, it Maybe prob- it faded and maybe. turned into... Maybe. I mean, like, you can't argue that they didn't realize the power that was... In that feud, like the fascination people had with it. Well, Crawford definitely did. She kept putting it back in the news. Absolutely. So they had, like, they knew where there was interest in them. Right. Like, not just for their careers, but also for this feud. Yeah. And so they could play it up. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think, even if they did hate each other, like, even Mm -hmm. if that was real, there is a small part of them that had to love the other person. Yeah. Because you can't, like, I think about, like, the famous, like, superheroes and villains like there's one i'm going to say that you won't know because you don't watch the show but Mm -hmm. the doctor who and there's like another time lord named the master who eventually comes missy it's a whole big thing yeah and um that was devastated i was devastated and jealous so (laughs) basically they the two of them hate each other and they Mm -hmm. each try to kill each other okay but they also love each other Mm. and they actually can never fully do it like they always know the other person will get away somehow Mm. and they don't want them to die. Mm-hmm. And so it's the kind of thing where it's like really fun to to watch. And I think there's an element that's similar That kind here. of thing would drive me nuts. What? I just feel like it's just reasons to make more episodes. Doctor Who, there's a very good reason I, I'm not into Doctor Who. Where do you start? 1950? Like they've been doing them forever. Well, no, you start with the newer ones. It's really good. A flying phone booth? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I no, it's it's a great show. We need the Doctor Who fans not to I know, hate us. I know. They're powerful. Uh, maybe I'm in a maybe I'm in a powerful feud with the Doctor Who fans and that's what sustains us and them. Hmm? I think that they just sustained by Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> they don't oh, they don't need us. <laughs> I know. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's like well, a fly trying to start a fight with a bear. Yeah, totally. Like, there's not symbiosis there. The bear doesn't need the fly. It's just like... Or like, the, like, the bear doesn't need the mosquito, right? Yeah. The mosquito needs the bear. Well, I think that they hated but needed each other. Yeah. Like a parasitical relationship. Yeah. You know, like that they were both sort of parasites on each other. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's what I see them as. All right, so here's the big question. Okay. Which one of us is Crawford? Which one of us is Davis? Are we going to... Oh, yeah. Like, if we had to choose, who would be God. who? God. I am probably Crawford. I think you're Crawford. Damn it. <laughs> However, I would argue that the one... I don't even like Pepsi. <laughs> we need them to be our sponsor. <laughs> uh, I would argue that you have the wittier one-liners like Davis, and I am slightly better at the social man- media manipulation. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to, like, flip those things. So, so we're I'm, like, like Crawford we're... with a sousson of Davis. You're, like, you're 75% like Crawford, 25% mm-hmm. Davis. I am 75% Davis with a 25% Crawford. Well, that, well, we figured it out. That's that's the, the question of the ages has been answered. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you disagree with us and you think that we're different Crawford and Davises, 
uh, at us. Yeah. Brightside K and J. On Twitter, we are uh, at Brightside K and J. Uh, we're the same uh, at uh, Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Uh, you can find us at the, the Brightside with Kevin and Jason at gmail.com. And you can find us at the Brightside with Kevin and Jason.com. Yeah. Uh, so those are some of our socials. And thanks for everybody who's starting to uh, who's been starting to uh, tweet at us and, and I love engage it. Keep with it us going. there. Yeah, absolutely. If you've got uh, episode suggestions, we'd love to hear them. Yes. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you again next week. Yes. Yeah. Take fountain. <laughs> Don't forget, take fountain. <laughs> oh. Bye bye. Bye. We hope you've liked this episode of The Bright Side with Kevin and Jason. If you did, please throw us some stars and give us a review on iTunes. It really helps others find the show. And if you didn't, just keep it to yourself or tell your diary. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BrightsideKNJ and on Facebook at The Bright Side with Kevin and Jason. All our past episodes are also streaming on our website, www.thebrightsidewithkevinandjason.com. Until next week, don't forget to look, look on, on the, the Bright, bright Side. side.